Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the February 24th, uh, 2021 QPSC. Uh, we'll open up with a roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Dung. Here. Trustee Esteen. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. And Trustee Spandorio is absent. We do have a quorum. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. With that, we'll we'll get started. And uh, although not agendized, I want to open up uh, with a statement of purpose for our meeting. And um, I think it's a good it's a good thing to remind ourselves while we're here. And I'll give credit where credit is due. I learned this one from Oprah, who says she opens all her meetings with statement of purpose. So here's from our charter, which is included as an addenda uh -huh. at the bottom. The QPSC is established to provide oversight and leadership for medical staff credentialing, review of organizational policies, and monitoring of organizational quality assurance, performance improvement, and safety programs. The QPSC is charged with continuing the practice of direct communication with medical staff leaders on issues of clinical operations and patient care. So with that opening, uh, with everyone's indulgence, we'll uh, jump right into this. Uh, actually, before I go into that, um, Madam Clerk, I, I think in our prior communications, you reported that there is no public comment. Is that correct? That's correct. No public comment? Ex well, not excellent, but uh, all right. Thank you. We'll move on to uh, item A, uh, the QPSC chair. In following with our tradition, everyone knows that we will open up with some articles which were selected for discussion. The first article is called a Stanford Deci uh, Decision Engineer Shares Five Mistakes People Make When Facing Hard Choices. And uh, I, I, I love I love metacognitive stuff, uh, talking about how we make decisions. And I'll just briefly summarize for those of you who have hopefully shared the article, uh, read the article. So one of, one of the first uh, mistakes that people make in decision making is spending too much time in the research phase. And um, we've all heard that tame term analysis paralysis. Um, I'm not certain that, that this organization is too much into analysis paralysis, but like every organization, that certainly could be a player. It's something for us all to consider as we go in our decision-making processes. processes. Two is not giving yourself enough time to learn how to make great decisions. Um, this also means evaluating how we make decisions. And I, I, I think every organization can, should, should examine how decisions are made. What's the governance of decision-making? How uh, do the parties, how do the stakeholders bring uh, things in? I always think that's a, a, it's a great concept. Third, confusing the quality of decision with the quality of the outcome. And it's possible to make a good decision and have a bad outcome. We know that, of course, in clinical medicine. Uh, it, it's a right decision and still sometimes things go right off the rails and uh, uh, not, not, not questioning the decision-making uh, is, 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 is a process which sometimes happens as well. Four, mistaking your options as fixed and binary. Sometimes we do yes, but, or either, or, and maybe the right conjunction sometimes is and. We can do this and uh, that. And uh, that, 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 that also goes to how we make decisions, how we govern decisions, and making sure stakeholders, finance, quality, uh, operations all come, come to a head. And last is getting stuck in a perfectionism trap. And uh, I, I think this can, be, this can occur in any organization as well. 
sometimes trying to get it right, but sometimes maybe the answer is, let's just try to get it better and then continue to evolve our processes. So with that, I'll kind of close my, my, my summary remarks and I'll see if anyone has any comments on this first article. Crickets. I think the both and was really important to me too that that you know that we give ourselves forced choices sometimes it ha has to be this but like yeah. if you be able to dig into the nuance of that um and usually it ends up finding a better solution when it's not a binary so yes i agree dr trustee manager you and i have these discussions all the time so i appreciate that any other trustees or any of our ELT comments on that first article? All right, trying to keep ourselves on time. The second article was engaging health system board of trustees in quality and safety, six must know guidelines. This one I would probably uh, put in our sort of our, our, our core articles uh, for our uh, trustees to keep going back to. And even for those who present to us to read to, to, to read as well. And I would probably put this again in our core articles. And um, uh, this is a, an oldie but a gold goodie. We brought this one back. So I'm just going to review our six guidelines for quality and safety measures for engaging healthcare boards. And again, this is great for audience members and anyone who will be presenting here. First, emphasize quality and patient safety goals. And this uses one of my favorite ac acronyms, which is STEEP. Uh, you know, part of what we're doing here together is learning the lexicon, learn, learning the vernacular, and and steep are 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 the considered domains of quality, safety, timeliness, efficacy, efficiency, equitability, and and person centeredness, be it patient, be it provider, uh, and be it staff. So let's let let's continue to emphasize those quality and patient safety goals. I'm going to say. We have a, we've had very thoughtful interactions with our quality team and medical staff leaders on this. So I, I think we're, we're, we're I think I, I give us kind of a thumbs up on where we're going here. Next is leverage national quality forum endorsed measures. Uh, I've had many deep discussions with our chief quality officer on the national quality forum, which is a, 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 a kind of a conjunction of, uh, of, uh, of societies which put together these endorsed measures. And many of these measures already exist within many of our dashboards. So I'd say I'd give us sort of a thumbs up on that one as well. Third is use benchmarking and risk adjustment to select targets. I think benchmarking is, is, is something that we really, really need to, uh, that can be our next iteration. You know, uh, when we were beginning on this journey, sometimes we just selected a target because it was 2% or 4% or 5% better. And as we continue in our evolution, I think benchmarking towards other similar type organizations is one of our opportunities. And again, I think we do some of this. Uh, and, and I think this could be our next evolution uh, because sometimes it feels like the markers that we're making are, 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 are striving towards something, yet, yet sometimes our organization, we wonder whether we're a true outlier. And when we don't have that benchmark data, we just don't know the answer to that question. Four, access data beyond the EHR. And uh, boy, Epic has provided uh, uh, reams and reams of, of great data, but we all must for not forget that there's other data out there. And that might include data which uh, will probably be discussed tonight. You know, score surveys. How do we get the patient voice 
uh, as, as a data set. And, and I think this is really important. There is more data beyond, beyond EPIC. Fifth, provide data and information for multiple organizational levels. Um, uh, health system analysts and leadership need to present information to multiple levels in the organization. And, and that means maybe at, you know, at a unit level, sometimes we need to see that because it might be a canary in the coal mine or it might be the diamond in the rough that we need to see. And then we have it at the hospital levels and then of course at the system level. Last, develop a board specific measurement and presentation strategy. And, and there's a little commentary here for, for us all. Um, providing information to a board of trustees requires a different measurement presentation strategy than what a service line or department needs to support its operations and performance improvement projects. The most valuable board resource is time. So because the trustees are a mix of volunteers, the, the, the reports need to come in, in, in the vernacular. And so part of our journey together is educating ourselves uh, and, and, and not presenting data, which a trustee might not know what that means, but is, is too uh, fearful is the wrong word, apologize for stumbling, but doesn't wanna ask because they presume that everyone knows. So for presenters, I, I, I see presenters as educators and sometimes that's, that's uh, taking it from the baseline. Here is what an e-harm score means. And here's how many we had. Here's what an h-harm score means. Oh my God, that's, that's completely different. So I, I ask that of our, our, our presenters is to walk us through like you're a teacher. And, and uh, uh, as we evolve together, you can make some presumptions about what we know, but, but bringing us all up to speed is part of the journey. And with that, I'll end and open up for any comments. And we're doing okay on time right now. Um, okay. Trustee Don. Um, I, I thank you for this article. And it's a very to review and keep as we um, explore the journey of governance issues with um, the Alameda County and the Board of Supervisors. And also as timely as we move forward to our retreat to remind us of our fiduciary responsibilities and our appropriate focus. So thank you. Thank you, Trustee Dong. Any other trustees with any comments? Trustee Esteen. Yeah, I uh, thank you for these two articles and uh, really appreciate the thoughtfulness and the timeliness of them both. Um, I think the example in the second article about a hospital that received um, troubling findings from regulators um, after safety issues is also incredibly timely. How we think about um, how we want to improve quality and transparency uh, in this organization um, and hearing stories. I heard a story today uh, about a little old lady patient who came in with paramedics and only came in wearing a blanket, a trench coat, and like a shirt, no pants. And when this lady was being discharged, she had no family to pick her up. She was gonna go home on BART, but there were no pants that could be issued to her from our uh, facility. And so as we think about these metrics that are often not necessarily reported, uh, the hearing stories, I think it's very relevant because it can highlight things that we may often miss. 
Um, so I thought that that was a telling tale about uh, clothing, access, and the way policies are written that sometimes may actually miss the, the goal. Um, mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that. The articles are very uh, timely and, and thought provoking. Thank you, Trustee Esteen. Any other further comments from trustees or executive leaders? All right, thank you everybody. That slightly puts us back on time. We'll move into item B, the consent agenda. Before uh, entertaining a motion, trustees, the consent agenda is before you. Uh, before entertaining a motion to uh, approve the entirety of this consent agenda, are there any items that you would like removed for a separate discussion? I don't see any, so barring that, I will entertain a motion uh, to approve uh, the consent agenda items B1 through B4 in its entirety. Um, Dr. Bouquet, this is Arena Williams. I apologize. Uh, I'm seeing oh, a policy. Uh, I'm seeing a policy on the consent agenda that was sent back by the MEC and didn't get approved. This is the debt collection policy. I don't believe it should be on the consent agenda because I believe at the last MEC was sent it back uh, with some requested edits. Okay. So how how about um, uh, may I entertain a motion and then we'll get we'll get into a little bit of a dialogue on that. May I entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda item with uh, while with uh, withdrawing the debt collection practices uh, policy? I move. So moved. Second. Uh, uh, Madam Clerk, roll call, please. Yes, uh, Trustee Banerjee. Yes. Trustee Bouquet. Yes. Trustee Dong. I think that was a yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Thank you, Trustee. Yes. Trustee Jensen. Yes. Motion passes. Got it, Dr. Williams. I apologize. We'll go back to you. So, uh, the debt collection practices and collection agency management policy. That was not approved um, at the last MEC. Uh, from what um, you know, from the discussion, I recall uh, the MEC members agreed that uh, we should send this policy back, and we requested to remove the requirement to report the debt to the collection agency. Okay. Um, that's what I recall. Um, however, I'm I'm getting messages that uh, I may be mistaken, but that's. That is, uh, that was my understanding of the uh, discussion of the MEC. You have some of your executive officers in the room. Is that the recollection of the other executive officers? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, um, Satira Dalton just told me that it was approved with that change. So yeah. I mean, okay. I'm, you know, I apologize if I. No, 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 no it's, it's okay. Thank you. Again, no apologies necessary. We want to stop the line when there's good. So. Given given that, uh, do you feel comfortable, Dr. Williams, with us moving towards approval of that? Uh, yes. Okay. So, uh, trustees, uh, uh, may I entertain a motion to separately approve the debt collection practices and collection agency management policy? I move approval of the debt collection practices and management agency. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. Second. Anyone? McFly. Second. Okay, great. Uh, roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. 
Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Dong. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Yes. Motion passes. Thank you. Thank you. Madam Clerk, did I do that better than last month? <laughs> you did it perfectly. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying to learn to, right. Um, with that, we will go into item C, uh, the medical staff reports. Uh, we have our uh, three uh, uh, med staff leaders and, their, and I see some of their supporting executive officers in the room just to reintroduce um, to the trustees. We have Dr. Irina Williams, who's the chief of the medical staff for San Leandro and Highland. We have Dr. Idris Afzali, who is the, the chair of the San Leandro Hospital Leadership. Committee, and then we have Dr. Kathy Pyun, who is the Chief of Staff for Alameda Hospital. So um, we have about 20 minutes allocated this, so roughly six or seven minutes each. And um, the floor is yours, dealer's choice, as I say, um, so anyone can go out forward. I'll defer to Dr. Williams to go first. Dr. Williams, All welcome right. again. I'm back. <laughs> Good evening, uh, board. Um, thank you for having me here today. Um, I'm going. To, I'm going to start with my report for the open session. Um, okay, it's coming up. So. Um, uh, the at the last MEC um, medical executive committee um, uh, recommended approval for the medical staff credentialing and privileging actions, including credentialing by proxy for telemedicine services um, and medical staff departmental specialty privileges. Um, the MEC has also recommended and submitted for approval the temporary disaster privileges report. Um, this temporary disaster privileges are to continue staffing and privileging due to COVID-19 and recommend that these are maintained for another 120 days. And um, uh, some of uh, our top three concerns uh, uh, remain the same, which is trust, accountability, and communication. So I wanted to um, uh, communicate that again to the board. Um, another item to report is that uh, our CME program, so our continuing medical education program, received full accreditation for a four-year term um, from February the 29th of 2020 until February the 29th of 2024. Um, in the calendar year of 2020, there were a total of 65 CME sessions conducted with 4,000 total attendees, which is great for the continuous education of our providers uh, with 75% physicians and 25% of other health care team members. Um, and I believe the other items were on the consent agenda and have gotten approved. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Williams. So what I, what I heard from your top concerns were trust, accountability, and communication. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, do, you, do you remember uh, last month you said largely the same things, but you also made a comment about concerns about talent retention. Is that still a concern or, and can you, can you give us a little insight from your perspective as the chief of staff? Definitely. So I think this concern uh, remains the same. However, um, we are trying to f identify a way of medical staff to work with the BMG on with East Bay Medical Group to address this concern and help um, 
facilitate uh, talent retention and provider retention. So I'm hoping that's sort of a task for me and my team to open up this dialogue with the BMG um, and see how we can work together on addressing this concern. Okay, it, uh, we would appreciate sometime in the future when you feel that's evolved, a report back on this issue. Okay. Um, do, do you feel like you're resourced to help navigate these three big concerns, trust, accountability, and communication? I think it's uh, sort of, it's a team and it's an organizational effort. I think this involves, uh, uh, it involves having multiple uh, stakeholders on board, including the leadership of the health system, departmental leadership, and the providers. Uh, so it's sort of, it, it it's a big task and it requires consistency and um, transparency. And it seems like we are in the process of uh, figuring out our alignment and addressing these concerns as we move forward. Do you feel that the organizational design in its current iteration allows for optimization of these things? I think so. Okay. I think, I think so. I, I, so far, I have experienced the support from the organization in our desire to address these concerns and bridge these gaps. Okay. Thank you for your report, Dr. Williams. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Williams? Crickets. Our, oh, oh, there we go. Trustee Esteem. She'll always say something. Well, <laughs> Trust, Trustee Esteem. I just want to say that I would love to come and visit every site in our core and the expanded sites outward. And I might just pop in, but if you want to extend an invitation, I'm happy to take your guided tour as well. I think that's wonderful. I would love that. If you uh, if you want, we can connect offline and maybe figure out the times and the locations so so that it works with your schedule. I appreciate you, your willingness to do that. Thank you. I think I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, thank you. This is actually part of the new trustee orientation and because it's been virtual, our trustees partners have been uh, deprived of that. And maybe, uh, you know, if we are scheduling, may I ask that um, I would love to join if I can to sort of um, if if there's, you know, uh, any possibility of like um, doing that so that there's least, uh, least uh, disruption for you all while we are able to do that and we could cluster, that would be great. So it sounds like a, uh, there is a proposal to do this sort of as a group. Is is that correct? Or do you prefer to do your visits individually? How about I let you guys uh, work this work this out? Of, mm-hmm. of, of course, uh, yeah, uh, uh, we're always for transparency. Uh, so it's, it's nice to know when we have our, our people walking through. But uh, I am always a big fan of doing the Gemba, as they say. Uh, uh, seeing, seeing where the work is going to the place of work to see how it's done. So I appreciate that dialogue. This isn't meant to stifle it. I actually encourage it, and I'll let you guys work offline on that. Thank you. Um, thank you, Dr. Williams. Next, we'll go with uh, to uh, Dr. Adris Afzali, uh, who is our um, chair of the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee. Dr. Afzali, welcome. Uh, thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you to the board for having me uh, having me present San Leandro's perspective. 
Uh, our first meeting of the San Leandro Leadership Committee was on uh, February 1st. Our next one's coming up next week. Uh, and this was uh, our, our first meeting for the year. So we set our uh, uh, agenda to uh, basically lay out our, our vision and our plan for the year. Uh, and I inquired uh, from our uh, nursing admin and physician leaders to give us uh, uh, sort of their take on, on what they foresee for the year. Um, and so some of the items that were highlighted were uh, improvement and uh, a renewal of uh, focus on quality, um, uh, education opportunities for existing staff and staff uh, that are uh, being hired newly, um, the, to build on capacity at, at San Leandro to care for our patients and uh, some of the sub items on this was uh, collaboration system wide uh, since San Leandro doesn't have all the resources that we uh, we hope for uh, leveraging technology uh, specifically epic uh, to move patients in between sites uh, which continues to be a little bit of a challenge uh, but epic has definitely made it a lot easier uh, to sort of uh, highlight and focus a unique practice uh, at, at San Leandro and specifically that's uh, 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 a center of excellence for, for joint surgery that has come up multiple times and I want to continue to, to, to speak to that. Uh, it'd be something uh, great for San Leandro and, and sort of highlighting our position within the system uh, and expanding the role of our uh, acute rehab unit, which uh, I think is... Uh, uh, is is amazing. Uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, please do make a visit there as well. Uh, number four item on the, on that list was uh, expanding opportunities for uh, teaching programs, uh, residents, uh, nursing staff, advanced practice providers. Uh, all um, we have a uh, higher acuity uh, patient population that I think they could all benefit from. Um, those were the sort of four top items that uh, were a recurrent theme amongst uh, all of those who I queried, uh, admin, nursing, and physician leaders. Are those your uh, themes, Dr. Zali? Yes, I, I definitely uh, agree with all of those. I think they're they're broad and uh, sort of uh, far-reaching, which I think is is great for um, uh, you know sort of setting trends and goals. Uh, I hope if we. Uh, achieve at least some of those or make progress in some of those, it would be uh, a success. Do you feel resourced that, that the system is resourcing uh, your team to, to, to resolve these areas of interest? Well, um, Dr. Bouquet, that's a, that's a far reaching question. Uh, and some of I know. it but <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, is rooted in, in in finances, which I know we're we're very uh, sort of tight on other other of it is with uh, our existing bandwidth within our uh, within our leadership. Um, but I, I think the will is there. And the drive is there. And so therefore, I think they're achievable. They're not uh, sort of out of reach, so to say. Okay. Um, okay. And Thank you, uh, I'm no, sorry. sorry. I apologize. I, I cut you off. Please keep going. Uh, no, no. I, I I just wanted to sort of uh, underline uh, the the comment uh, with Dr. Williams earlier regarding uh, retention of quality physicians, and I think some of these ways is uh, in how we can 
uh, engage that quality uh, workforce is to get them involved in, in sort of helping us establish and build on some of these. This uh, uh, it sort of has a, a fulfillment that, uh, you know, it, it's not financial, it's not uh, uh, anything else, but other than uh, uh, helping to retain them from, from a different perspective. So getting our, our docs to do uh, more more quality work uh, and more non-clinical work to keep them engaged and, and give them a different perspective on the work that they do. Got it. Dr. Zali, thank you for your presentation. Um, trustees, do we have any questions of Dr. Zali who's representing San Leandro Hospital uh, in, in this in this discussion? Trustee Dong. Um, a question uh, of both Dr. Afzali and Dr. Williams, um, both of you have mentioned retention of quality physicians. Is there a trend of where, where our physicians are exiting to? Is there a trend analysis about where our people are going? Um, I'll, I'll take, uh, I'll start. Uh, thank you for this question. It's a great question. Um, at present, I don't think we have a good uh, uh, consistent process of following up on uh, the providers who uh, choose to resign. Uh, and that's another one of the areas of improvement to understand um, what are the reasons for uh, providers leaving and where they tend to go. Um, I think it's one of the steps in um, addressing this gap. Trustee Banerjee. Um, do we do exit interviews, Dr. Jamaluddin? Do you track like who's leaving, why, and what might be some reasons? Uh, we uh, usually the chairs uh, do some exit uh, interview, and I have done some. Uh, I, you know, I know about an in, uh, instance of uh, neurology. Uh, attending who left to University of San Francisco recently just to pursue an academic career there and to decrease her FTE. Uh, uh, that's that was the last incidence. Plus uh, the, the the chair uh, the chair of medicine recently who exited. Uh, but recently also we recruited uh, we backfilled the position for the neuro uh, neurology. We have a good candidate who accepted the position. And uh, we recruited uh, radiologists recently, interventionist radiologists. So we are going to look at this process moving forward with Dr. Achilles Warren uh, becoming the president and have a more structured exit interview for the physicians and involve also the medical staff leadership. Thank you. You know, for all of us, um, uh, the, the literature is relatively robust on this issue. There is an ROI for physician retention. You know, there are there are some point estimates suggesting almost a half million dollars, up to three quarters of a million dollars for for an unretained physician. When you when you talk about recruiting costs, loss loss production, and the like, and uh, so I think uh, retention of our employees, uh, physician, nurse, etc., um, is is something that we need to consider. And I'll, I'll note that that's one of our. I believe that's one of our tracking items that we put on our on our system dashboard. Is there um, any way that we can compile uh, an aggregate of findings from exit interviews? Uh, sure, we can do that. Yeah, we can we can get also the data of how uh, many people have left what specialty. The the most challenging specialty really uh, has been urology uh, to recruit. We had a physician 
who left more than a year ago, and it has been extremely difficult. There is shortage of urologists uh, throughout the nation, uh, but we can get the data absolutely. And, and, and the cool thing, Trustee Esteen, is that the chair of the HR committee is in this room too, Trustee Blue. <laughs> so uh, Trustee Blue, maybe that's a handoff um, to, to consider in, in, in one of your questions. Dr. Zali, thank you very much for your presentation. Um, uh, last but not least, of course, is Dr. Kathy Pyun, who is our chief of staff at Alameda Hospital. Hi, Dr. Pyun. Hi. So thank you. Um, I have really little, I mean, as far as uh, to report, uh, very similar to Dr. Williams' report, we did a lot of, uh, of a lot of credentials and privileges, and we also approved the telemedicine services uh, for teleneurology uh, uh, to uh, specialty privileges by proxy. We also approved the temporary disaster privileges. Uh, we approved a number of system-wide policies, procedures, non-position contracts. And uh, we also approved uh, some med staff uh, education competency mo models that need to be done uh, to keep your privileges or to, uh, to start working at AHS. Um, and, and as far as um, our, my, you know, our, Key concerns, mostly, again, I'll bring up uh, the small hospital. We're a small hospital with a very good core of specialists, but uh, sometimes we need some subspecialty support. We've been working on the cardiology uh, issues, and we do have telecardiology on the weekends, which seems to be working as, as, it, as it should be working so far. It's a, it's a small sample. Uh, teleneurology is also a work in progress. It's, we, that started last month. Still, there's a lot of kinks, I think, to work out with that. I don't want to go into all the details. We're working on it. Uh, certainly could, could, could optimize that and improve that. Um, you know, there's, there's always uh, other subspecialists we could use more of. Urology is also tough. We do have a urologist that comes like once a week, but it's not as much coverage you'd like to see. Uh, yeah, these are, I know this is very challenging for the system to get a urologist. Um, I uh, also wanted to, you know, talk about just culture. I, Dr. Uh, Tanvir Hussein talks a lot about this, and I, we're really on board with this. I'd like to figure out a way to, you know, engage the physicians, the hospitalists particularly, and, and the, the other physicians about, you know, a situation where we can, you know, always look at our at what we're doing and see if we can do anything better. If there's a, a, a patient we took care of that, you know, didn't didn't have didn't didn't do everything quite right, we can look back on it and and see where we could do better. And not make it a very um, punitive uh, process or a gotcha process where you just kind of look at them and say, "Look, you messed up." And you know, it's more of a you know situation where we're, it's a learning process. We want to help uh, raise the bar of education for and, and and get everyone to be on board with looking to improve all the time, and not and not take it in, in, a, in a negative way necessarily. So we're, we're working. On, we're, we'd like to work closely with Dr. Hussein on that, and um, you know, just. If you just do that, you over time, little bits, you're going to continue to improve and better and improve over time. And that's what we want. We want excellence. Um, we've I've also talked last time about the transfer process, and uh, you know, we've had some bumps on, on this. Uh, but I think that we're, we have now a little better understanding of what the um, chain of command is. So we've, we've, uh, we've worked this out. I've talked to uh, our CMOs about this, and I'm very thankful that there's more of a a chain of command, at least for getting an MRI on the weekend, uh, an urgent MRI or something like that. We just want to know who to call, how we can get it approved quickly, and get it 
and get it done quickly and not have to um, haggle it for, for multiple hours over something that might be urgent. Uh, so that's um, basically where we're at. And, um, you know, I'm grateful. I'm feeling that, you know, we're definitely getting the ear of our administration leadership and we're, you know, um, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely moving in the right direction on, on a lot of issues. Okay, well, that's good to hear. You, you, you mentioned one of your, uh, your, your, your rank list last time was specialty coverage number one. Second was private citizens able to use their private insurance at Alameda Hospital. I, th I think this, this is a, a tougher one to bear uh, because that goes to overall strategy. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just remind our executive leadership team about as we develop strategic planning that, that, that this has sort of been brought forth and it's sort of what's old is new again kind of question. And uh, so thank you for that. Um, Kathy, I, I like hearing your optimism. Do you feel resourced for continued progress? So far, I feel uh, it's been early. I've only been on this job for about a month and a half. So, but um, yeah, I'm feeling optimistic, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, uh, I'm, I'm feeling like you know, I can definitely work with the leadership, and uh, I'd like to continue uh, having good dialogue with our leadership and, and working on these issues. Excellent, trustees. Any questions for Dr. Pian? Trustee Dong. Um, a comment, not a question that threads all three of the speakers, and thank you so much for uh, sharing your uh, information. Um, I'm really going to also focus on uh, the summation of exit interviews uh, to retain our key personnel. And I want to say that I totally agree with Kathy. One of the things you'll find is that organizational culture, whatever improvements, it's free. And so it's not necessarily about the salary all the time. It's not necessarily about these things that are monetary. It's also about our organizational culture and what support we provide our, our clinical staff So and, and, and staff in general. So I, I thank you for those comments. Thank you, Trustee Don. Trustees, Trustee Blue, Esteen, Banerjee, um, any other? Uh, Trustee Jensen. Where's Trustee Jensen? I think no. Did she fall off? Trustee Jensen, are you here? Well, trustees, any questions yes, further? Yeah, I want to just extend the same request that I would love to come and see Alameda Hospital. And yeah. Absolutely. Um, we can go offline and uh, you can come visit. Um, and I'd like to give you a tour or whatnot and I'll let you know. And so, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. It's like a, it's been a community hospital for hundred years over plenty of years, but now it's county, but it, it really is a, a true hybrid hospital. Great. I'd love to see you. Yeah. Thank you, Trustee Esteem, for uh, trying to live and breathe Gemba. Um, I don't see any other trustee comments. So given that, we will close item C. Chair, Chair Bouquet? Oh, yes, 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 ma'am. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, I, I just, if I, if I may briefly, I wanted to... Always. Uh, recognize what Dr. Pion just said specifically in regards to the, the just culture. And I, I just can't emphasize enough how important that is. And so I was grateful to you for acknowledging um, Dr. Hussein's um, work in that area. And I just want to assure you that that's certainly our intent administratively to make sure that we always embrace and encourage and support a just culture. And right now we have the culture of safety survey that's underway. And I know that you'll hear more about that as the meeting goes forward. But I just, I have been repeatedly asked by staff, is it safe to say what I really think? Is it 
okay, you know, am I going to get in trouble for saying what I'm really thinking? And so I just, I don't mean to suggest that that had been the case before, but I just want to assure the trustees and those people watching and listening tonight, that's not who we are as the Alameda Health System. And the only way we get better is by allowing people to be candid and free with identifying issues that they encounter and not having a punitive environment. And so obviously you have to have discipline when it's appropriate, but when there are opportunities for improvement and somebody has the courage to come forward, we have to embrace and encourage that. So I'll stop, but I just wanted to thank you, Dr. Pian, for, for raising that point. Mr. Jackson, as always, thank you for your comments. I mean, that hits the nail on the head. Hoo-ah. Um, uh, I think that's it as we close uh, this session. Uh, actually, I'm going to take a little inner space and backtrack this a little bit. My apologies because I, I, uh, Trustee Banerjee did have a question about PN policies and procedures, so I apologize. I want to take us back just slightly. Trustee Banerjee. Sorry about that. I couldn't. No, no, pr no problem. Mike, in time, I had a question about the vaccine dose documentation and administration reporting. This is page 44 of the book. And in that, it seems uh, that the race, ethnicity, demographic data is optional. And I wanted to know, like, uh, are we, when we do a vaccination uh, administration, are we collecting SOGI and race and any other data that uh, demographic data of our um, of, uh, during administration? Uh, if I may, we have uh, uh, Trustee Bouquet, we have uh, Dr. Swift, and we have Dr. David Tian from Ambulatory. Maybe Dr. Swift can start uh, answering. Mini, we can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yes. Um, good evening. Uh, we are required to report um, the race or racial and ethnic makeup of every recipient. Uh, that is mandatory information that's reported into CARES. Um, we do not collect information on sexual orientation, gender identity. Um, that's not part of the requirement. Um, that's not part of the state's focus on equity. Currently, they're looking at um, racial and ethnic makeup and the zip codes that have been most um, hard hit. And um, so that is where we have prioritized our work. Thank you. Was that satisfactory, Trustee Banerjee? I, I know that on the, is California reporting that data publicly or not? I, I, I saw that, it, so I know that it's facility by facility, but not like sometimes statewide that we are getting, but I just wanted to make sure that we are capturing everything we can so that we can track. Yes, um, that is part of our core commitment to equity and uh, stratifying quality outcomes is um, part of our, one of our key initiatives for HEDI and something that we have been doing for several years. Um, I would say with re respect to vaccines, there's a very cool report now available on the county website. So you can go to the Alameda Department of Public Health um, on the top left, COVID, and you can see the distribution of COVID vaccination in this county. Thank you for that. 
Um, I, I want to clarify, Trustee Bouquet, that uh, uh, about uh, sexual ori orientation, the SOGI data that we collected in primary care, I think uh, maybe uh, Dr. Gupta or Dr. Tian can, can uh, and, and related to vaccine, but uh, just we collect this data. Am I correct, Dr. Tian, or Dr. Gupta? That is correct. Uh, to, to specify more, so we do a standard screen for sexual orientation and gender identity, including a patient's preferred pronouns at, uh, at registration, and that information is readily presented and, um, and uh, EPIC, uh, and the patient can specify a preferred name, and um, the, the uh, dashboard or uh, the storyboard will actually say um, uh, non-binary, for instance, if someone doesn't identify with a, uh, a binary gender, and so that is definitely a step forward for our patients. Yeah, and this is Neha. If I could just add, um, you know, before we migrated on to Epic, uh, we had like 90% um, data completion for all of our primary care patients with both sexual orientation and gender identity populated. We had some um, issues with Epic, but we expect that once we clean up all of our data, that the numbers will remain close to 80%. Um, data completion, and we have all of our quality metrics able to be stratified by um, sexual orientation and gender identity, in addition to what Minnie mentioned. Thank you. That's good, too. Thank you to all. Um, uh, Council, I, I believe Trustee uh, Jensen is in the waiting room, if we can uh, let her back in. Uh, that's my side communication. Um, with that, we'll, we'll move on to item D. Um, this is the Patient Safety Regulatory Affairs and Quality True North Metric Dashboard. For, for those who've been watching this, th these are usually separate items. And again, we're going towards efficiency. And it's about kind of finding the right space between efficiency and knowing the people who present these reports. Historically, these have been pre presented by our Darshan Graywall, our System Director of Patient Safety, uh, Nilda Perez, our System Director of Reg Affairs, and Annette Johnson, our Quality Analytics Manager. Dr. Hussein's going to kind of give the lead off on this, and then he'll go to uh, his team uh, for for data if necessary. Dr. Hussein, um, 15 minutes have been allocated to this. We're running uh, about five to 10 minutes behind, but uh, this is actually why we're here. So just so we're aware, please uh, take it away. Very good. Uh, thank you, Trustee Bouquet. As a leader, one should know his limitations, so I will certainly give an overview, but we have the experts on the call to answer your more in-depth questions, so I appreciate the directors who are on the call to support me here. Um, I do want to mention a really important point. My phone was blowing up uh, at the early part of this session. Uh, my team is just rejoicing um, with the medical staff, our board of trustees, and other leaders who are so committed uh, to forwarding our culture of safety. Um, Trustee Dong, your comments really resonate. Um, there is something very special about the people who work at this organization. That's a privilege that we are stewards of. Um, listening to our staff to further that promise is perhaps the best thing we can do to forward the care that our patients receive. Um, and I just want to take a moment uh, to express my uh, gratitude to our new leaders, uh, uh, James Jackson and Mark Brodsky, as well as uh, Gassan, who from day one have really uh, pushed um, and, and, and provided significant encouragement to forward uh, these goals. Um, so uh, on the screen, I hope you are seeing the patient safety report. Uh, this is one of the standard reports we present. On page 155, you will see that we like to demonstrate in this tabular form the totality of the safety alerts that we are receiving. 
I will make one note that there is um, uh, a 10 percent decrease in the overall um, safety report submissions. Our team has uh, analyzed this. We don't think uh, our hypothesis is that this is not related to a concern around psychological safety, but actually a decrease in the high risk uh, procedural volume. Obviously, with COVID, we've seen a tremendous decrease in the highest risk procedures. We would expect the greatest number of uh, safety alerts, so we don't at this moment believe that this is related to culture of safety. Um, we also track when events hit, uh, we classify, the patient safety team classifies events between A through I. Um, e is when an event that's been reported um, has caused temporary harm to a patient. We're at 2.9%. Uh, this is a dramatic decrease since fiscal 18 when we start, started tracking this. In your closed session report, you will see a breakdown of all E events, approximately 16. Um, and there's been a slight uptick in uh, HAPIs, uh, which we correlate to long stays of COVID patients in the ICU. Please know that our, uh, inter our multidisciplinary team is looking at protocols around that. Um, next, I'm going to take you to the patient relations um, event. Here, I want to call to your attention um, something that's good. Um, we track to the total patient relation events, but then we also stratify by complaints and grievances. We see um, an increase in complaints. Complaints are those things that patients express, usually during their stay with us, which gives us an opportunity to address them before they become grievances. That is, after a patient has left our facility, they want to uh, submit a written complaint. So what we're actually seeing is that our staff are sharing uh, patient complaints so that there can be um, immediate multidisciplinary review of them to try to reconcile or address them before they become grievances. So I just wanted to familiarize you with that data. Now, um, I want to point out one interesting trend that the patient safety and uh, team analyzes, why has the time to closure for grievances increased? We believe, based on our experiences, that COVID um, and the sort of decreased interaction that patients have with families and that communication of being able to share information with uh, families has created uh, more opportunity post-discharge to have communication and try to clarify some of that communication. So our team is looking at that. Um, and I just wanted to point out that, uh, that it is true that that time has increased, but it's because there's more communication required to catch families up on what has happened. Um, this page is left intentionally blank. In your closed session, we will talk about the root cause analyses which have been performed for our reportable events, and we'll talk about that in closed session. Um, uh, we also, just on Monday, launched the Culture of Safety Survey. It will be open until the 15th of March. Um, uh, um, James mentioned some of the key points here, um, that the data uh, uh, will be um, anonymous, um, and we want to create, uh, it's really important uh, to capture as many voices of our staff as possible. Um, mm -hmm. Our participation rates have increased year after year. We were at 70% in 2019. Our leadership has set a target of 80% participation organization-wide and 100% amongst leaders. There's been a number of ways that we're trying to promote this, including um, discussion at our leadership chat last Wednesday by James, an in-depth uh, chat uh, uh, um, on it today. Um, the, and additionally, there's flyers all around the facility with QR codes to make it easy. Leaders have received toolkits for FAQs and talking points. 
um, and leaders also receive um, participation rates so that we can help encourage where um, some uptake is low. I will not be able to get into too much detail today, but I assure you that there is a structured debrief plan. Um, it is really important that it, this data doesn't belong to just the people on this call. This information is the information of the organization. So we have to make sure we share this information back in a transparent way, and more importantly, that we take action on that data. Um, there is a debrief plan that we have developed, and if time uh, permits, I, uh, uh, Darshan and I would be happy to share that with you. Kanveer, okay. we're, at, we're at 7% right now. 7% <laughs> response rate across the system. But we started two days ago, right? Yep. That's two days, so let's keep this up. Yeah. Okay, so I won't do the math in my head, but I think it's about 50. So if we 461 50, people. Okay, great. <laughs> in 30 days, we'll get to 100%. Yeah. Thank you, Darcia. Okay, now we'll move into the regulatory affairs report. So um, Joint Commission, I shared this with you. Nilda and I shared this with you once before. We, have, we are back in accredited status. We submitted on February 9th. Um, our evidence of standard compliance for the findings, the handful of findings from the preliminary denial of accreditation survey. Uh, that was submitted, and prior to that submission, there was a lot of uh, dialogue between our team and Joint Commission to make sure that they will be successfully accepted. We do have evidence of standard compliance uh, due for the Medicare deficiency survey on the 9th of March, and that is progressing well. Um, to once the evidence of standard compliance are submitted to the Joint Commission, they will write us back that they have accepted that. Um, within those plans, there are uh, specific metrics for many of the plans that we develop. And so as soon as they're accepted, the regulatory affairs team will work with our operational designated accountable parties to do monitoring to make sure that we can successfully execute on the plans that we said we would. And you will receive a summary of that report at this meeting so you can be confident that we are um, uh, holding ourselves accountable to the plans we said we would do to achieve that. And we are going to use the impact rounding tool to achieve that. Um, in terms of uh, state regulatory activities, I mentioned that in closed session, we'll talk about um, one adverse event that we needed to report in the month of February. A full root cause analysis and action plan was developed around that, and you'll hear uh, 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 about that in closed session. In the month of November, we self-reported a Sentinel event related to a retained foreign object that was prior to, that was on the prior board. But I wanna share with you that we have received since this report was written, an official letter from the Joint Commission that said um, that after meeting with our internal leadership from Periop as well as the quality team, they have accepted our root cause analysis and our plan of correction for that um, event. Okay, let me now move on to the True North Metric Dashboard. So the True North Metric Dashboard, I'm glad that today's uh, uh, Trustee Bouquet put into your packet the steep framework that is the basis of how we have come up with uh, the metrics on this dashboard. There are 11 metrics um, uh, across our three pillars mapped onto the steep framework. Of those 11 metrics, six are in green. Uh, so we're trending um, fairly reasonably as most of these data are at the midpoint of the fiscal year. That said, let me bring to your attention a couple of things. Um, uh, for ambulatory access, we know that uh, with COVID, um, in-clinic visits have uh, largely uh, decreased. And so there is um, significant attention and work now by our pediatrics department 
about how do we ensure that our patients receive necessary immunizations in this new sort of care delivery format. Um, the rise in um, the ED throughput time as well as avoidable days is largely attributable to challenges with throughput. December, we were having um, daily calls around COVID to manage the uh, influx that was seen locally and nationally. Um, and particularly uh, affecting post-acute sectors, not just our facilities, but throughout the state, uh, thereby making it difficult to discharge people and hence increasing some of these metrics. I want to draw attention to the successful, um, uh, this is a huge lift on QIP metrics. As you heard yesterday um, uh, from Erica Murray, this is a significant source of supplemental funds, and I am just thrilled that our organization has reached 90% of those million dollars. I will speak with you more in coming months. The QIP 4.0, which, which started on January 1st, is a, a bigger beast than we have ever encountered. So you will hear more from me in coming months about those challenges. Um, readmits largely due to post-acute. Um, Hospital-acquired infections, we were, and I believe will be back on track. We just had an uptick in uh, two CLAPSI and, and CAUDIs that pushed our numbers over the edge for long-stay patients. Um, we drive towards a mission of uh, zero harm um, as we continue to trend down in our PSIs, and I already spoke to you about safety alerts. Patient experience is an area where um, I think you deserve a much more robust explanation than I can provide you now. Um, we did see, we got this information from Press Ganey that nationally, across the state, and particularly when we look at essential hospitals, there was a decline in patient experience related to COVID. That said, um, we can allow that to be an explanation uh, for uh, why we can't do better, um, but it's something for you to uh, just keep in your mind, and, and I will have to give you a much more in-depth uh, presentation on this other than what's put uh, uh, available in your packet. Okay, Dr. Bouquet, I am sorry. I don't think uh, I am sure I exceeded no, you're, that. You're, you're, you, no, you're you're doing good. This is this is a lot of data, and again, uh, you know, uh, as, as educators, remember how to, how do we remember things? We do it again and again and again. So that, thank you for kind of giving us a construct. Um, uh, a couple of comments I have. I'm oh, sorry, Dr. Hussein, did I cut you off? Do you have more? No. Okay. Um, uh, I have three comments and then I'm going to open up to trustees. Number one, can a trustee, can the trustees, um, Dr. Hussein, get a copy of the score survey questions? Yes. That, that Dr. Uh, Ms. Graywall, that would be great. If, if you wouldn't mind sending that uh, to myself and the clerk of the board, that way uh, when we talk about score again, and I presume we're not going to talk about score because you won't have compiled the data on March 15th. This is probably an April or maybe even a May presentation. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Uh, so this, this will at least give the trustees context about what questions were being asked during the score survey. Um, my second comment, uh, Dr. Hussein, would it be possible for the opening slide subsequently on the safety alert to be safety presentation to be the trend line by harm score uh, and, and defining the harms? Because it, that sort of is, uh, if, you, if you will, for me, it's sort of the big one, right? It, it, it educates the trustees on what the harm scoring is and how we've done for E, F, G, H, and I, uh, which are, are super big deals. I think that would be a great opening slide because it's easy and not on the quality team. It's easy to be intimidated 
by the numbers and the acronyms here. It's very easy. Cowdy, clobs, clabsy, what are all these things? So let's just start off with some basic letters and some numbers, um, if, if you don't mind, and make that our opening slide. Uh, number three on the TNM dashboard, trustees, I wanna remind us that this is our True North metric dashboard. We vote on these elements, uh, usually June, we were a little bit late last year and did it in July rather than June. So these, these are the elements that we select as our dashboard. And um, I, I say this is one for all our trustees to kind of, you sort of got to keep looking at it again and again. So if there's one thing about this, look at this one. Um, Dr. Hussein and uh, Dr. Jay and Dr. Tornabene and I had a brief, nice meeting this morning. Uh, we have historically had other uh, dashboards related to something called the strategic business units. And my ask back to the team, Dr. Hussein, is those quality-related dashboards, if we could on a monthly basis send that to the clerk of the board, and those can be included as addenda or written reports. So when, when our trustees are starting to get comfortable with these data, they can, oh, look at the dashboard for ambulatory. Oh, look at it for post-acute. Oh, look at it for inpatient. And uh, as we sort of get familiarized ourselves, is that acceptable, Dr. Hussein? Okay. So uh, now I'll be quiet and open this up for any trustees. Trustee Jensen. Um, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Hussein. I um, do have a question about the, the access and decision to admit. Um, during the past year or so, um, it's been uh, with the, the increase in um, COVID patients and um, especially the past since um, the surges have happened in the past three months or so, there's been really a, a reduction in the, the ED surge from Highland. And so my question is regarding the recent, um, well, I guess I should preface it by saying, I noticed that over um, at the end of 2020, the last few months of 2020, there were very few surges, it seemed to me, um, code red ED surges at Highland. and um it that were being shared at least is for i guess that's my question is that the case were there beds available and no surges and if that was the case then um, i'm curious to know it seems like the um ed surges have surged recently there's been 13 times in the last month that there has been um in the last 30 days when there's been a code red in the Highland ED and there's been no bed available, a decision to admit and no inpatient bed available. So I'm just would like to get some feedback about why that's happening and what the relationship between the, um, the reduction in COVID caseload is and the increase in the decision to admit and no bed available. Uh, Trustee Jensen, I will be able to comment on the metric and then I will have to um, ask or request the assistance of our, some of our operational leaders to comment a little more on that. Um, so in terms of the metric, uh, the metric looks at the time uh, from when a decision to admit is made to the time that they get to a hospital bed. We've seen an improvement in that. So that, that this metric on the True North metric dashboard is a slice or a component of a larger metric, which is total ED throughput. So I just want to acknowledge that we're just looking at a slice. 
And when we look at this one slice, um, it does appear that the trend is better than uh, fiscal year 20, although we saw a recent uptake here in November and December. Um, the metric of surge, however, uh, uh, is based on multiple other factors, uh, not uh, all entirely encompassed by this metric. Um, so um, I would now need to rely on either, you know, Gassan or Janet or Felicia to comment a little more on what the surge, the components that go into the surge, um, and and um, and I'll touch to about that. I'm happy to start comments and then, uh, you know, Ms. McInnes or Dr. Jamaluddin can add. Um, uh, indeed, uh, the, the month of, of January and then into February here um, are, we've had a number of surge reds at the Highland ED. One of the things that I frequently look at are the number of patients um, that have extended length of stay. There's a lot of work um, that goes into um, uh, working that list. For example, I have Epic up in front of me and there's over 40 patients right now in, in Highland Hospital who have length of stay over 10 days. Um, not all of those patients are um, of, uh, at the acuity where they're ready to be discharged. So while we have uh, perhaps sometimes even over 40, we had um, uh, extended stay patients um, with numbers over 40, um, even just over the last few weeks. So it's it's actually good that it's come down into the 30s. That's still um, a lot of patients with extended lengths of stay. Of those, the patients that are considered non-acute have been less than 15 most of the time. So those represent administrative days. However, you know that, that there's still a significant number of administrative days um, that we have to address in order to decrease the, the overall length of stay. Um, but I, I check this almost uh, every day and, and uh, without having any sort of mathematical model, my subjective experience here is that when we get down to our, length, our extended length of stay numbers in the 20s, our, our entry into surge red is much decreased. And so given that it, we're in the 30s and 40s, we certainly um, are seeing those surge red hit our Highland DD. Um, Ms. McKinnis, Dr. Jamal, anything to add? The only thing I'll add, Felicia, thank you, you did a nice job with that, is that um, we, you know, you see that surge at the end of the year and into January. That was exactly when uh, Alameda and San Leandro were surging as well with COVID. Our one lever that we try to use is transfers. And so if we have uh, San Leandro and Alameda sitting with open beds, uh, we work very closely with the transfer center and there's a number of issues why we don't always get the transfer to happen. Um, but that is kind of our lever to pull uh, if possible, to disinfect the Highland ED and then place patients at San Leandro or Alameda. So if they're in the middle of a, a pandemic or a surge as well, that option dries up. And so, um, but the, the long stays are probably the biggest impact that we're working through. Um, 40 patients long stay is almost two full units. And so there's lots of work to be done uh, to identify. And there's, again, we identified probably 11 or 12 different reasons for these long stays that we need to start uh, working through the issues and then, and then you know, moving the dial on that. So you're, it's not, it doesn't go unrecognized. Felicia and I watch it every day. So we're, we're, we're really aware of that. I will add uh, also credit where credit is due for sure is um, the assistance we get 
from our uh, from post-acute and our CQU. That's been a major breakthrough for discharging our patients with COVID. Thank you, Dr. Tornabene. Thank you, Ms. McKinnis. Um, Dr. Jay, any comments? Uh, no, what I just want to say, uh, uh, it's always the case in the cold months, we see this, uh, this surge and this uh, throughput issue in the ED. Uh, the interesting thing that is happening right now in the COVID uh, time is that the number of ED visits has decreased throughout the county and throughout the nation. Uh, our average length of stay in totality of observed over uh, or uh, expected over observed, it is better. We are able to move patients uh, slightly better. Our PES uh, in John George, the throughput is, is quite good. But this phenomenon that we are seeing here is certainly a result of our uh, difficulty in moving patients on the back end with, uh, who, need, who, need, uh, who need services uh, uh, like uh, dialysis or, uh, or skilled nursing facility at times. Uh, so that's that's uh, the phenomenon that we are observing uh, right now. But um, uh, 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 the, the, the fact is that our leverage, average length of stay has uh, has improved, and our CMI index has increased. We are seeing sicker patients than we used to uh, before. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. J. And for our trust again, our. Uh, the, the, the tyranny of acronym and number. Uh, CMI means case mix index. The higher the number, the sicker the patients. So uh, thank you for your comments on there, Dr. J. Trustees, any other comments as we close out item D, 20 minutes behind? Ms. Dong, uh, Trustee Dong, then Trustee Esteem. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're 20 minutes behind. My question is quick. Um, <laughs> on the True North metric dashboard, the fiscal year 21 target, how is that set? I'm just hoping this is a quick question. For, for which item, Trustee Don? On the True North metric dashboard. Yeah. There is a column called fiscal year 21 target. Oh, how it. is that set? Uh, Dr. Hussein, will you remind us about how targets are set? Yes. So um, it depends on the metric, and we've tried to capture some of that target setting in the narrative to the best ability possible. Um, so in general, going back to the earlier discussion, we have used um, metrics for most of, uh, most of the metrics on the True North metric dashboard are benchmarkable to the national, state, and local standards. Um, so um, one, we always obviously try to uh, uh, set the target decreased in performance since prior fiscal year. Um, two, when we have external benchmarks that uh, like are related to payments, for example, QIP, we would set those targets uh, comparable to that. For patient experience, um, Prescani actually has a methodology where they look at performers in that quartile, what is the um, average 70th and 90th percentile performance improvement that is reasonably expected of people in that quartile. So we use that methodology there. Um, where benchmarking does not exist, for example, for avoidable days, um, we've used sort of like a 5% improvement strategy. So whenever in the governance process of setting the metrics, which hopefully we'll do here in May or June, we always will articulate that benchmarking strategy and we will always, you know, we vote on that. So we vote not only on the metric, but also the target setting. Thank you. How's that for an answer, Trustee Dong? <laughs> uh, Trustee Esteen. 
Um, I, the True North metrics are great. I, I do hope that there's a way that we can look at length of stay through the, the total ED throughput and not just time from decision. I think both of those are important, but the total length, um, as we just heard, 40 days, 15 of those are non-acute. Um, you know, when you combine that with 25 people in John George who are ready for discharge, we have a real issue with placements. And I wonder what our problem solving is around the back end, um, as Dr. Jamaluddin referenced, with getting folks placed. And if we are uh, researching discharge options and partnering with the county to make sure that these mm -hmm. clients we are serving, according to the county mandate, the state mandate for the county, uh, is helping us to finance and source placement options for people who are clogging up the system. Um, I'm also curious about how um, when folks are in the ED for more than 24 hours, what are the factors that go into extending their length of stay? Is it just about physical capacity or is it also about staffing? I know staffing has been a question that's come up in many previous discussions and I'm curious if that has impacted our ability to have patients moving through our system and access an inpatient bed and, and appropriate care. Um, uh, I think those are the big ones, just, you know, 40 plus 25 to 65 beds uh, that are not uh, taking so, in new patients. So trustee esteem, as always, great questions. I'm going to ask you for a favor and then make a comment. My favor is you know, when we get to item G, planning calendar and issue tracking, I'm, I've written notes. You'll just remind me to bring up this issue as we build our tracking calendar. And my second comment is that we, um, we historically had a, a strategic business unit presenting this. So one of those strategic business units is actually acute. So we don't do that here anymore and we can revisit whether that, so this is a perfect question for the acute um, uh, strategic business units leadership. So for, for our acute leaders, a question has been posed by the trustees and we'll put that on our tracking list and then we'll, we'll try to moderate how that data can be brought back. But for me, this exactly is great because the True North metric dashboard highlighted a, a question and the True North metric dashboard is not the end all be all. We just can't follow 5,000 metrics. So this one highlighted a great question. So thank you, Trustee Esteen. Um, Dr. Hussein, thanks for that report. Um, with that, we'll close item D and uh, we'll move into item E. So is, I want to introduce item E. I don't oh, know if there is a, if there is a answer to at least one of those questions. Um, about partnering with the county on resources for long-term placements. Uh, I know we're over time, but I'm very yeah. curious if there's an answer to that. So I would probably put that under the name of kind of a, a what is our hospital throughput? What are what are the what are the issues? And you know, we've previously made an analogy of congestive hospital failure, right? Which is too much input. Is the pump working? Is is the outlet working? And 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 we sometimes don't have pe places to put people. So that contributes to congestive hospital failure. So I'll leave this to our acute, uh, our acute leadership to talk about throughput through the hospital as, as, as a future uh, uh, a report. Is that acceptable, Trustee Esteen? It'll have to be. Okay. Tafta, just uh, I can I can reach out to Trustee Esteem and share with her about those partnerships. Sheila Lizwa has uh, a big. Uh, like number of uh, initiatives and partnership with uh, with the county about those questions, but we can and we can bring it here in the vacuum. Okay. Thank you. 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 Th
and a nice summary so that that not only trustee esteen is is educated that we are all educated sure, absolutely so thank you for that yeah well, we'll we'll close out item d if that's acceptable to the trustees and move into item e now um i want to give a little introduction to this one and then we have a public comment uh so uh for item e the title of item e is the current state of clinical education non-gme related at alameda health system it, it, it's parenthetically non-GME related because remember, education is a big word around here. We have educations in many pockets. GME means graduate medical education. So that's training of residents and medical students and the like. We're talking about stuff which is not residency program uh, affiliated. And uh, Trustee Esteen asked this question. So this is the import of the tracking list. This was her request uh, born out of last month. So. That's sort of the intro. Uh, we have Mr. John Pearson here for three minutes of public comment on this agenda item. Welcome, Mr. Pearson. Hello, and uh, thank you, trustees, for uh, hearing me tonight. Um, I'm glad that you've put this item on the agenda. Um, it's a subject of uh, great concern and also a high priority for your bedside workforce, those of us that um, work clinical jobs like myself. I'm an ER nurse at Highland. I'm also chapter president for SEIU Local 10 to 1, representing about 3,000 of your workers across the system. Um, and I wanted to call your attention to the current state of clinical education. Um, so from the perspective of people working on the ground with patients, um, like some of the people that are in the audience and even on the board, like Dr. Bouquet, um, what we've seen um, is uh, some very alarming, sweeping, and dramatic changes to clinical education, um, but no communication about those changes. Um, we've seen the near wholesale elimination of actual um, in-person education by anyone qualified or trained to educate clinical staff. Um, and that has come in the form of um, eliminating in various ways most of the nurse educators also the clinical nurse specialists, including um, uh, very alarmingly, one of the leading lights uh, in the field of nursing education in the country. I can tell you I've worked also in New York and um, some of my coworkers from New York know uh, the name uh, Janice Province. Um, she's well known across emergency medicine, nursing education in the country. She's made a name for herself. And um, we've seen this administration uh, get rid of uh, people like Janice. Um, adding to the alarm from your bedside staff is that we have not for months and months had communication at all about whether or not there is any kind of plan uh, to fix this problem or to replace clinical education. And so all that's left is a hollowed out, bare bones, um, online only education. And right in the middle of a global pandemic, we have um, barely any and sometimes no education about giant dramatic changes um, in biology and medicine that uh, directly affect patients. We have the introduction of new equipment and medications often that have, um, if used wrongly, um, implications of harming or even killing patients um, or being harmful for workers. And uh, those don't come with education. Um, and so the message for us seems to be figure it out yourself. Um, and we don't think that's okay for our patients I just wanted to sum up by saying um, that the, the patient experience here is having healthcare workers um, who are trying to figure out on their own 
how to navigate a very quickly changing uh, landscape that includes a global pandemic. Um, I want to highlight that a big part of the education that's missing is uh, an annual education on workplace violence that many of us have not had um, for, uh, I can tell you myself, I haven't had it for a couple of years. Um, and we have an alarming number of incidents of workplace violence that have ended in both patients um, as well as uh, staff being uh, physically harmed, sometimes in life-changing ways. Uh, thank you for hearing me tonight. Mr. Pearson, thank you for your comments. Um, I, I, I think that's one framework to see, uh, to introduce this agenda item. So we will be talking about the current state of clinical education, because if you don't know where you are, how do you know where, where we're going? Uh, our, our interim CEO is assigned to this, uh, uh, but our chief operating officer, it's my understanding, will also be uh, participating. Um, uh, one time out here administratively. Madam Clerk, our, our trustee, Ms., uh, Trustee Splendorio is in the room. You uh, advised me to tell you when I saw him. Welcome, Trustee Splendorio. Okay. Um, so I will now uh, cede the floor to Mr. Jackson and Fratsky. Excellent. Thank you very much, Chair Bouquet. Um, I, I do want to just acknowledge that this has been one of the most pressing issues that I have been made aware of and trying to work with the leadership team to create a, a solution, a plan for how we were going to provide the appropriate training that the staff needs and deserves. And so um, I've asked Mark Fratsky, our chief operating officer, if he will take the opportunity now to talk about the framework that we're establishing to make sure that we get the training that the staff deserves and that Mr. Pearson made um, very explicit requests for. So, um, Mark, please. Yeah, thanks, James. And, and John, thanks for the feedback. And I'd love to just sit down with you and chat a little more um, regarding some of your comments, because frankly, it's my understanding, and by the way, I've been, this is day eight or nine for me, so I'm, I'm catching up on all of the issues, but um, my intent is to really work with the Department of Transformation, which now um, is education is housed under, under the direction of um, Sylvia Lozano. And I know, I think that change occurred around mid-December, um, when when the transformation office took it over to help us understand um, how we move forward with developing a department, you know, is it centralized? Is it decentralized? Who exactly is it going to serve? Is it nurses only? Is it pharmacists? Is it lab? All these other things. What should their competencies be? What tools do they need? It's really, um, I think, an opportune time to sit back and listen to the stakeholders, such as yourself, um, John, and, and get the feedback into how it should and needs to be designed. And that's what I'm intending to do working with um, Lisa. They've done quite a bit of work already in terms of understanding what the barriers, what's worked in the past, and what needs to maybe change as we move forward. Um, and so I know they're in the process of putting together a plan. They're in the process of making sure they have positions posted and we can begin to hire. Um, so we're in, we're in flight right now in terms of putting the structure around the department. And um, I'm, I appreciate hearing that the communication has maybe not been up to expectations and we can fix that. As we go, the organization deserves to be kept um, 
um, up to date on what is going on as it relates to this issue. So that's my intent. And um, we will certainly get the structure and get it designed in a manner that supports the organization. Um, and that's what we're working toward. And, and I don't want to drag feet. We need to get this taken care of um, as expeditiously as we can. And that's what we will do. So more to come on it. I don't have a ton of details right now other than a, an assurance I can give you that it's on my immediate radar screen and um, I'll be working with our Department of Tra uh, Transformation on it. Thank you, Mr. Fratsky. Um, Trustee Esteen, I'm gonna go to you first if you don't mind. Um, uh, thank you for calling attention to this item. Uh, there are many brains here, right? And so listening and evaluating what we do. Any, any comments, Trustee Esteen? Um, I guess my first question is, what is the timeline for the job postings, the timeline the, for? Yeah, the um, th thank you, trust, Trustee. The, the job positions are posted. We're resourcing out different ways to advertise it um, because they're, they're, my experience being a nurse, they're hard to fill positions. They, they, it's a very specific type of competency and education. Um, and so we're using um, different ways of sourcing and advertising to try to find the right people, um, either in the Bay Area or outside of the Bay Area, just because it's a tough position to fill. Are financial premiums being offered as incentives? Um, you know, what we're doing, I, I, I asked that today. What we're doing is looking at the salary range, getting some consultation on that to make sure that our salary ranges for these educators are competitive. Um, because, you know, they, they've got that specialty and, um, in terms of their competencies. And, and I can't tell you, I can find out, but I, I can't tell you when the last time their salary ranges were actually looked at. Mm -hmm. So we first got to make sure their salary ranges are um, competitive, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, trust Mark, I can, this is Sylvia Lozano. Yeah, hi Sylvia. I, I just wanted to chime in here if, if appropriate. Uh, yes, of course. Please. Yes. Um, so the salary ranges have been reviewed and finalized. We did do an increase in the pay band. Um, just from a historical context, um, nurse educators were being offered um, about 25% less than a bedside nurse. So therefore hard to draw the, a nurse educator from the bedside. That has been changed. So the pay bounds have been approved and they've been altered. We do have one offer out to uh, an internal candidate and uh, hopeful that they have accepted it. And I'll, I'll checking email like by the hour to see that, he, that that individual has accepted. We did interview another great candidate today um, and hopeful to make an offer out to them first part of next week. Um, so redoing the job descriptions changing the pay band, um, out, allowing for a flexible schedule so educators could work potentially four tens, three twelves. It could overlap into a weekend. We believe, my vision is we believe education is a 24-7 department. We need to offer that level of education um, to our staff so that they can feel confident to do the right thing for their patients. 
Um, I have met with the um, nurse leaders, um, uh, the nurse leaders last uh, Friday, sharing with them the vision of, of education in order to get their feedback. We are sending out a needs assessment to our nursing staff on March 1st to talk about what are those things that make you feel unsafe from a patient safety perspective, what would help you um, in the form of education um, better serve your patients from the area of quality, what would you like to see in the area of professional development for yourself in order to help you with skills such as having critical conversations. So I also have um, um, Dr. Indelkar, who I saw earlier today, um, um, uh, is is aware, and we are we are. I will be talking with her to get physician feedback. And Dr. Feeney, I'm meeting with him, I believe, this week. So really, want to get the voice also of the physicians as far as what they feel that may be um, added benefit or value to our nursing staff. So we're doing a whole host of things. I've been on the I've been in the, the wearing the clinical education hat for probably 45 days now. Lots and lots of work that are going on um, in order to make sure as we redesign moving forward that we're doing it um, very mindful and thoughtful for ensuring that our stakeholders are getting what it is that they want out of clinical education. My background is lean. I lean. I lead the lean transformation work for our facility. And so I could share with you my enormous fishbone diagram, my stakeholder analysis tool. Um, if we're going to build this and, and under my leadership, it needs to be built from the ground up. And that's the, that's the direction I'm taking. Thank you, Sylvia. A couple of questions for you. Some of it's a little bit brass tacks. Can you talk to me about what is the current budget for clinical education and how many FTEs that is? That's sort of number one. Yeah. And then, and then number two, can you walk the the, the trustees in the audience through the decision to, to to for for the current governance structure? Why was a uh, why was a clinical education um, arm moved into a non-clinical division within the organization can you so those two questions number one is brass tacks um uh what's the budget in the fte and then two is how was the governance what 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 were the dialogues to move to to have this governed under a non-clinical uh division within our organization so so i i may ask for a little bit of help from janet who was the previous director on the second question but i can tell you um, for uh, for the current clinical education department, we have a total of seven FTEs. Six of those FTEs are full-time positions. Um, one of those FTEs I broke into part-time positions because we did have, based on my analysis, some individuals that were interested in doing some part-time education work as they build up their skill and confidence in that area, um, as well as, you know, there are people that are wanting to stay, have one leg at the bedside and one leg in the education arena and learning that and, and, and that fills their cup. So we have a total of seven FTEs. I have reached out to Vizient and I do have a meeting with them next week to ensure that our benchmarking based on our size and our system are in line with um, what we should have in the form of FTEs. It, it, I, it, I also reached out, I am 
from the Kern County Bakersfield area. And so last night when we heard about Kern Medical Center being very similar to us, I have reached out to them in order to find out what their FTE composition is as well. Because I wanna make sure that not only we have the number of FTEs that we should have, but we have the appropriate staffing mix within that department to serve our organization's needs. So I hope that answers your first question. Yes, almost. So, so yes, and, and and then and and those, yeah. The second question as oh uh, no no I still have a question on that. of those seven FTE remind uh, this part I didn't hear how many of those FTE are currently filled. We have a, we don't have any of them filled. So, so it's zero of seven. Got it. Yeah yeah we have an offer out on one um, through HR and we will have an offer out on another one through HR tomorrow with hopefully an answer first part of next week. So I can tell you ever since we changed the posting, um, HR and HR is not here, but probably changed the posting um, about two weeks or so ago, we have started seeing people come in to the pipeline for for applying for the position. Got it. Uh, 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 Trustee Blue, if you'll hold on. Trustee Blue has a question. And now uh, maybe it's a tag team. Uh, between Ms. McKinnis and Ms. Lozano on kind of the governance question. How did this okay. come to move a, cl- a, a clinical education arm into a non-clinical division of the organization? Um, I can, uh, Janet, I don't know if you want to start or want me to start. Well, it's a it's a relatively short answer. This was a decision that uh, wasn't made by either Sylvia or I. It was made by a, a former leader that we reported to. And so I don't know that we had a long discussion as to why it was moved. Uh, it was just a decision that was made. Sylvia, do you have more to add? Yeah, I think that the, 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 the feedback that I received was that um, we wanted, the vision needed to be that clinical education was more broad than just clinical nursing education, that it would span respiratory pharmacy, environmental services, um, that it would become a system education level department. Um, I have that background um, working with the dentist health and and previous uh, facility Salinas Valley. Um, so there's experience there with rebuilding the department and morphing it into a system system level department. And so I think that may have fed into that. I, I'm not aware. Um, I was just asked if I would be um, um, open and willing to take on the department and was excited about it and willing to do that for the organization um, given its current state. Um. Uh, and then this one's rhetorical, which we'll talk about. I, I question, are there models for this? Uh, it's, it, I, I think I've been in 11 different hospitals at this stage of my career. And I, I think uh, I've, I've always seen clinical education, uh, non-GME related living under nursing. But again, it, we, we get to assess how, how things go. So I'm going to uh, uh, Trustee Blue and then Trustee Banerjee. Trustee Blue and then Esteem. Hi, thank you. Yeah, thank you. So um, I just have a couple of questions, and it's been a while since I've been in the nursing world. Uh, So number one, unless JACO has changed their criteria, I remember JACO requiring that there would be an RM 
you know, nurse education department. And I am pretty sure in Title 22, it also states that there has to be uh, nurse educators, right? So if if staff could take a look in that, because I think we can get into trouble when it so comes to certification time. At Trustee Blue, they report to a director of education, yes. which is NRN. Yes. And then did you take a look at San Francisco General? Because it is a trauma center and it is pretty comparable. It's um, probably bigger than Highland, but it's comparable. And I'm a little bit familiar with Salinas Valley, but it's not a trauma center unless it's changed over the past four years. No, it is I, not. Okay. Right. No, and and like I said, I, I am meeting with Vizient to do our, who is our, who is our, our bench, the organization we use for benchmarking for that very reason is to find like hospitals that um, we can ensure that we can benchmark against and ensure that we have the appropriate budget, FTEs and, and uh, et cetera. And then the last question I have in terms of medical staff, uh, and so I'm going to defer to the doctors here, but don't you all do your own education, right? Physicians come in. So, so I, I think the answer is it depends, <laughs> uh, you know, on, 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 so there's, that's why I, we titled this as GME and versus non-GME related. There are some things that physicians don't like, advanced cardiac life support, basic life support, and there are other things that you want to be educated on, like, you know, new IVs or what have you. So it's sort of a mixed bag, sort of a mixed bag. I hope I fielded that answer appropriately. Um, is that acceptable, Trustee Blue? Just just wanting to gather information. Yes, yes ma'am. We're all for that. Trustee Banerjee, then Trustee Esteen. As a continuing trustee, I can't tell you how infuriated I am to hear this. Um, this is something when we got the joint commission in January and it nurse, the governance about nurse education and having that has been an ongoing, ongoing discussion about like, why don't we have better quality clinical education for acute? Why don't we have a structure? It was so much that we have actually discussed this in the finance committee too, in addition to discussing it in QPSC. And to have an entire department just taken out without having a plan in place or anything, I'm sorry, but like punting it to um, an, a departed leader does not cut it. For the nursing leaders who are here, this is your job. And this, this we, we simply cannot, cannot have a system where this is party, this part of it is party. This is, the, this is so foundational to what we do. Um, and hearing from quality, it's just, um, I'm glad that we are going to not drag our feet about this. I'm glad that this is going to be uh, very quick. And I hope that even if it's, you know, on a basis, on a regular basis, we keep getting uh, updates about how, how what's happening, how it's progressing. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Trustee Esteen, then Trustee Dunn. Um, Trustee Banerjee, you, you said that incredibly 
succinctly, thank you. Yeah, this is this is the job of nursing leadership to make sure that all of our nurses are educated consistently and constantly. Thank you for pointing out that this has been an extended issue in the sake of transparency. How could this have ever happened? Why was it allowed? And, you know, like, I feel like we're just super behind the eight ball, um, even in the fact that nurse educators are paid less as if it's not a specialty, as if it's not something that people get special certifications for. The respect and the professionalization of nursing is supposed to elevate education. Uh, in a in a several years ago, I think we were on a path to magnet. Uh, by paying your nurse educators less, you are saying they are not valued, and you will they not get in that way. If we are trying to model our improvement after stellar right. organizations, um, as was suggested in the article uh, tonight, then we absolutely need to make sure that our nurse educators are treated as primary and special members of our workforce. Um, so how did this happen is one question. Uh, can we please see the new job descriptions? Because I think it's important for us to know that it wasn't watered down. Uh, I think this is very important for us to know that people are still um, in need of qualifications in order to access this job role and for the the nurse educators that are coming, are they centralized? Are they decentralized? Are they going into the ED, the ICU? Are we talking about people who can teach the ACLS courses that Dr. Bouquet mentioned? Are we talking about folks that can handle L&D specialties, folks that can teach other um, subspecialties, other uh, folks, can they come in and, and, and help facilitate education across the organization? Please, more details. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Trustee Esteen. With the job descriptions, I can reassure you, were not watered down. Uh, that was it was number one priority to ensure that we had um, we had people coming in that were qualified to do the work. But if we as an organization want people that are qualified and have the experience that we need to deliver education to our, our staff to provide safe care, we need to pay them accordingly. So that was the biggest hurdle. And fortunately, um, the uh, organizational administration agreed. And so those salaries, pay bans were increased in order to get that caliber of, of, uh, of health educator. And also to your point, um, having, having gone on a magnet journey before, the health, the educators are that it is that trajectory, that professional development way into leadership. And so it is important that that, that we, we, we pay them accordingly. Ms. Lozano, thank you. Trustee Yassine, uh, thank you for your comments. I, I think my comments on this, uh, we're going to go to Dr., uh, Trustee Dong and then uh, CEO Jackson, is, is, is that we have a CEO and a chief operating officer who, who have been very declarative in, 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 in addressing us, that this issue is going to be addressed. I myself have the full confidence in, in these two to help examine current state uh, and, and make the evolution or, uh, evolutionary decision about what we need to. Um, Trustee Dong and then uh, CEO Jackson, and then perhaps we'll close out on this item. Trustee Dong. I'm gonna keep it brief because I do believe Trustee Banerjee and Esteen have uh, expressed 
my thoughts. I will say that during my years on the nursing board, we've spent a lot of time on the RN board, uh, BRN, a lot of time talking about nurse education. And so I'm just going to say that I am hoping and I have uh, 100% confidence in Mr. Jackson and Mr. Frasky to correct and provide corrective action to this overall issue. So that's just all I have to say at the moment. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Dong. Mr. Jackson, sir. Thank you very much. And trustees, I just, I need to make sure that you hear from me. There is nothing more important that's on my plate. And that's that's big, because you all know the challenges that, that we have. <laughs> this is critical. And Mark and I understand that to our core. And so while we can't provide the answers that you are, to the questions that you are posing this evening, Please know that this is something we're working on every day, and we will be coming back to you in short order with a plan for addressing these issues. And so I, I regret that I can't give you more right now except to assure you this is job one for us. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. I'll say you have the trustee. I hope I'm speaking, and I'm pretty sure I am. You have the trustee's confidence in that you will do a thoughtful analysis of this. Thank you. Make, make appropriate recommendations. With that, I'm going to close out uh, item E, and we will go to item F. And I'm running 20 more, five more minutes behind. But uh, uh, if we're not here for thoughtful dialogue, what are we here for? And if it's, uh, as I say in meetings, if it's not a little bit painful, you're probably not doing it right. So uh, we we have opportunities uh, uh, galore here in this organization. We're going to hear uh, from uh, an item F uh, on uh, something that I that unifies us all. Heady uh, 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 health, health equity, diversity, and inclusion, and how this re- uh, our safety and quality data analysis plan. Uh, we're bringing back a familiar face to do this. This is Dr. Tanvir Hussein. Dr. Hussein, you'll help out your chair if you will. I'm I'm running hopelessly behind, but this is important stuff. It unfortunately didn't make it to packet. Um, so um, uh, if you will uh, uh, please get this to uh, the Madam Clerk of the Board so then we can then distribute post. And then, of course, we'll put this in our in our NASDAQ website. Uh, the floor is yours, uh, Dr. Hussain. Thank you, Trustee. Um, and um, because of your thoughtful approach to this, this is really a prime to what we can expect in subsequent months. And so I can't agree. Um, so, um, uh, so and this was so well planned because I don't even need to talk about this slide about steep because you've already read about it mm-hmm. in your uh, chair's packet. Um, uh, and in the and we sort of talked about this as well in my prior presentation, the True North metrics, that as we formulate the True North metrics, um, um, uh, uh, one of the things that uh, Trustee Bouquet really helped us formalize is an analytic framework for looking at quality metrics. Um, and in 1999, uh, to Air Human demonstrated uh, the capacity for people who are committed to helping uh, patients can still themselves um, whether uh, uh, unintentionally cause harm. That was followed in 2001 by the introduction of the STEEP framework. That STEEP framework is um, one of the components of that STEEP framework is equitable. 
And so uh, at the beginning of this fiscal year, um, we uh, began the conversation of how can we introduce a lens of equity into our True North metric dashboard. It was well-timed because at the same time that the Heady task force was coming um, to light, and um, so I, 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 uh, there are much more eloquent uh, uh, speakers and, and thoughtful uh, people around the concept of equity. So um, again, I know my limitations and so I wouldn't want to uh, suggest that I am that expert, but in terms of how we can look at equity from uh, a data analysis perspective, I'll ask us to look again at the definition of equitable, which is providing care um, so, uh, uh, for me, providing care is an outcome um, that does not vary based on personal characteristics such as gender, ethnicity, language, and socioeconomic status. So, um, from, uh, from a quantum analytics perspective, we're looking at subpopulations and asking, do outcomes vary based on uh, the subpopulation? So, this is a graphic um, that uh, tries to uh, demonstrate what equity is. So here we have people or individuals of different form uh, and capability. And to achieve equity, we want that despite an individual's form or history or uh, constitution, that they're able to all move forward and rise. That's the outcome. So if I can move forward with this thought, we look at the outcome, which is we want everyone to have a good outcome regardless of their subpopulation. So we have outcomes. We've thought about those outcomes when we uh, approved our True North metric. Um, and so what we need to think about when we're creating a data analysis plan is where do we have reliable access to subpopulation data, subpopulations that resonate with us and have meaning because of our uh, history. So. Um, to then allow us to do analysis, we have some statistical considerations. We need to have outcomes data and subpopulation data, which are of a sufficient sample size that we can actually conduct statistical tests to determine whether or not their outcomes are disparate between populations. So that means we need to have a sufficient sample size of outcomes, sufficient sample size of populations. And then we want that data of outcomes and subpopulations to be in, uh, linked at the individual level so we can do the appropriate analysis. Now, additionally, when we do this analysis to look at do outcomes vary by subpopulation, we don't want to be left in the dark if we see a difference as to why there is a difference. So when we're considering our analysis, we're also looking at where do we have data that we can then understand or provide explanations for why there may be that disparity if we do see it. And finally, um, um, uh, we would be able to give a more robust story if we have longitudinal data, so data that we can look at for over uh, several years to understand the trajectory of, uh, of uh, equity or disparity. So when we look at these statistical considerations, the availability of subpopulations, and the outcomes we have, um, the quality team has identified two readily available opportunities. One is around the hospital-acquired harm index. So these are um, uh, patient harms um, that are standardized in definition that we have to report to CMS that also uh, contribute to CMS stars and leapfrog. 
Um, this is one outcome where we also have, based on registration data, um, when patients register <clears throat> on uh, uh, selected race, ethnicity, i.e. Hispanic or not Hispanic, and language, English versus non-English. Uh, non so what we could begin to now do is look at, do we see a difference in the harm rate by, one, by a patient's race, ethnicity, or language? Okay, so that's one option we have readily available to us. A second um, is looking at HCAPS, which is the hospital uh, patient experience score. And in that uh, survey, uh, patients are asked to self-identify or self-report rates. So this is another um, opportunity we have to look at do outcomes at Almeda Health System vary by these subpopulations. So I'm going to move forward here. So our plan um, is uh, currently this uh, in this quarter, um, hopefully by the next QPSC, is to provide um, an analysis of harm by race, ethnicity, and language. Um, our proposal is that we socialize and uh, review this information, this analysis with our internal leadership at the Quality Safety Committee uh, before presenting it to you at the Quality and Professional Services Committee to see in fiscal 19 and 20, did we have disparities and um, by race, ethnicity, and language, and what was that trajectory? It is also our commitment to work with uh, Prescani to look at our HCAPS data and also look at whether or not the experiences of our patients vary by race. Uh, finally, um, uh, you, we talked a little bit about our culture of safety data. We anticipate hopefully that data will be available in uh, preliminarily in May, but one proposal is this year's culture of safety data also uh, introduce self-reported demographic data, specifically race and gender. So um, to stratify that culture of safety data by race and gender. So um, one thing we'll keep at the back of our mind is that as the HETI task force moves forward in its efforts, to standardize the definition of race and ethnicity and how we capture it in our system, we will be able to um, uh, incorporate that into our analysis. Um, so that's actually the end of my presentation and I'm open for questions. Dr. Hussein, thank you that you kept it very brief and what I'll, what I'll, what I'll say is that this is what, what, what is required of us um, to, to fulfill our, 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 our mission here, right? And uh, it is the third E of, or maybe the first E of STEEP. So I know you, uh, Dr. J, uh, the whole team has been talking about how we're gonna accomplish this. So uh, I, I, for one, am very appreciative of this next step in the evolution because we've not historically had this kind of stuff. So congratulations on that. And let's, let's keep moving this forward. How would you see this as tough to make this a single item on a, on a TNM dashboard, right? when you're doing it by race, is there a composite measure? How would we do that for a single item or just say that's impossible? Help, help me out on that. I'd have to think a little more about that because you know me, I <laughs> like to do things in a way that's standard and benchmarkable so that we don't yeah. sort of create our own definitions. Uh, but I was reassured in your chair's packet that one of the suggestions under equitable was to actually stratify metrics by these categories. So I yeah. felt reassured that uh, this is at least a way we can begin. My other 
um, thought is that as we begin to do this preliminary uh, analysis, it will likely it will just be the start of a conversation that will lead to more re richer and deeper investigation that we'll need to do need to do, yeah. and that may inform the evolution of the True North metric dashboard. Yeah. Does the harm and and I'm, I I uh, I see Trustee Dong has a hand. So harms analysis by real race, ethnicity, language, gender identity. How how, how do we do this part? How do we how do we put that into the equation? And uh, and again, it, this is maybe rhetorical, but but essential stuff. Um, uh, initial thoughts, Doctor Hussein. Very good. Let me look. Uh, I don't know if Annette may be able to answer this question. We need to just look at the line level data to see if gender is available. But if it uh, if it is, which I think it should be, then we can include that into our analysis. Um, uh, sorry, I and might have uh, something that's not possible, Annette. <laughs> It is. It is absolutely possible. We can add gender in. Excellent. Um, and we should, and we shall. Okay. So, 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 please, please, please. You guys are smarter than 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 us on this. So, you think uh, this is ready for prime time in March? Wow. Yes. Um, well, you know, uh, what I will say is, uh, you know, it's always a, uh, as a former, uh, you know trained researcher, um, as long as the conversation is too important to delay, but that needs to be balanced with making sure that we provide valid information so that we don't get draw the wrong conclusions. So what uh, the commitment you will get from my team is that we will speak with integrity about all the limitations um, and where we have the opportunity to uh, dive deep. So I think as long as there's an understanding that we will learn together, uh, we will try to find the signals of truth, then I think we should move forward. Okay, of course. Trustee Dong, and then I can't not have Trustee Banerjee speak on, not speak on heavy issues because uh, she's so passionate, uh, a passionate leader for us. Trustee Dong, did you have a comment, Trustee Dong? Sure, but can I lower my hand? I forgot, oh. I just lowered it. So, yeah, I like always, I like hands up. It's okay. It's like saying hi. Uh, Trustee Banerjee. <laughs> yeah, um, th thank you so much, Tanvir. And I think that as we are settling down, um, I know how much James has on his plate, but um, would love to kind of, uh, there are so many other work groups within HEDI as well. And I know that I was part of the AHS community linkages team as well. Mm -hmm. So, we will be looking to very soon thinking about uh, having board presence over there to be complete, to be continuing that work on um, on all cylinders. So uh, okay. looking forward to um, discussing that with James um, and figuring out like when is a, a good time for us to kind of dive back into that work again. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. It's such essential work. Dr. Hussein, as always, thank you for your presentations and your team teamwork uh, on on developing this stuff with Dr. Jamaluddin and the rest of the quality team and and beyond the quality team because I know this is of central is in interest to anyone who works at this organization. And now that we can uh, quantitatively get to to some of the measuring and managing it. Um, with that, I'm going to close item F, and I'm running hopelessly behind. Bad chair. Um, so item G is planning calendar and tracking issue. I'm gonna remind 
uh, Trustee Esteen, that I took notes. We, we, uh, so on our, our tracking issue, we would like to hear back uh, some version of a throughput report. Um, th this maybe could happen offline. I'll let trustee, uh, I'll let, I'll let the administrators reach out to trustee Esteen on some of that. But again, the importance here is shared learning and not just uh, trustee by trustee, but uh, trustee Esteen has asked that question. I want to open this up to Dr. Jamaldi and Dr. Tornabene, uh, Dr. Hussein, as well as the other trustees and executive leaders. This is the, this is the, the section of the, uh, of the meeting where we get to imagine our next meetings, what we what we might want to what we might want to hear further. So um, I'm going to open up for Dr. Tornabene. Yeah, thank you, Trustee Bouquet. So I want to share. I was inspired by something that happened this afternoon. Um, so I, I was um, I was able to hear a presentation by some of our OB-GYN leaders, and they presented an A3 that they put together where they're looking to increase um, the number of patients that are coming in from our partners with CHCN to deliver here at Highland. It was beautiful A3. Um, and that is an example of, I think, the improvement work that proliferates across AHS mm -hmm. and perhaps could use a venue for highlighting. And so for consideration, I'm wondering if we can have a, a recurring agenda item where quality improvement teams can come and share with the board some of the work that they're doing. It doesn't have to be a massive project. It can be a small unit-based project, but all these things touch our patients. So I'd love for you to consider that idea. Well played, Dr. Tornabene. <laughs> Dr. Jamaluddin, Dr. Tornabene, and uh, Dr. Hussein and I had a nice discussion on this uh, this morning. I, I, I uh, am uh, my my. Uh, I shouldn't take a chair's prerogative on this, but I'd say done. This is something that that should be an essential and fixed item. We'll call it quality improvement work or what have you. Um, uh, Dr. J, Dr. Tornabene, and uh, Dr. Hussein uh, have advised that they think they could probably roll this out in March. We'll continue to have that discussion, but maybe we'll just call it a ten. We'll, we'll agendize this as a ten to fifteen minute item which lets the trustees and the public see what we're doing in the system. And it might be something big, like retain foreign objects, but it might be something small, like my example this morning was wayfinding. Anyone who works in the system knows that our patients have trouble with wayfinding. Um, so I, I find this to be an exciting new addition uh, 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 to, to the quality community. And then I'll defer to the good doctors to, to kind of populate a tracking list of who who get who gets stage time because our, our our people on the floor should be applauded and this would be a nice venue to to celebrate people but also to expose our warts and say these are our warts and this is how we're going to get better. Um, trustee Banerjee, you had a hand. Okay. Um, any other trustees? Any other comments for tracking? Uh, trustee Esteen. Bless you. Um, I definitely want to make sure we keep tracking this nursing education piece. Got it. So, um, uh, Madam Clerk will also put that on our tracking list. And, I, and I've and i asked Dr. J, Dr. Tornabene, and um, uh, Dr. Hussein to keep a parallel tracking list. So, we're, we're, we're all having these discussions. So, with that, I'm only 37 minutes. Oh, sorry, Trustee Dong. 
Um, can we keep track? I, I know it might, it mean, I don't know how long it'll take to do, but I'd love to see the summation and of the exit interviews. Um, Madam trustee, I think that's a great one. Um, I'm going to try to save myself and consider punting that one to our HR chair because that might be a great venue, but we can continue to have that dialogue. Let's put that as a tracking item to make sure at least it's handed off. Uh, that, that's a great reminder. Thank you. With that, we'll close out item G and that closes the uh, open session items. Uh, audience, we are going to now move into closed session. I'm estimating trustees closed session to be on the order of 20 to 25 minutes for the audience. We do come back, back out and general counsel will report on what happened in closed session. What, there are no current action items. Uh, you're welcome to hang out if you want, um, but we're estimating we'll be in there 25 to 30 minutes. Uh, and then uh, we'll come out and just report out and close the meeting. So I hope everyone has a good evening if you're, if, if you're leaving and um, trustees, let's go into closed session.